Welcome to Nurture Small Business, creating a thriving space with your host, Denise Kagan. Denise is the president of DCA Virtual Business Support and has been a business owner for almost 20 years. DCA Virtual Business Support provides small businesses with an expert pairing of virtual administrative and marketing assistance to match your needs. Learn more at dcavirtual.com. Mike Lander has a rare perspective on negotiating B2B commercial deals. He has worked on both the sell side and the buy side of the fence as a procurement director and managing partner in a procurement consultancy. Mike is an accomplished entrepreneur who specializes in helping companies negotiate better commercial deals with their big clients, especially when procurement is involved. Mike, welcome to the show. I know our listeners are going to be super excited because we're going to be talking about how to negotiate like a ninja. Absolutely. Welcome. Thanks, Denise. <laughs> Great to be here. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. It's very kind. No problem. I um, So you had some interesting information that was in your longer bio about you know some of your accomplishments. And, and I'd just like to have give you an opportunity to share some of that so people understand where you're coming from as you give this advice on how to negotiate and procure. Sure. Um, so um, I always think that uh, you can go on uh, loads of theoretical courses on negotiation skills. You can read books. I think on Amazon, I found there's yeah, well over 100 books on negotiation skills. And they're great because it's what I call the foundations. You know, you can't build a house if you've got no foundations. So I'd recommend to anyone, if you're going to read a book, by the way, on negotiation skills training, um, read Getting to Yes by William Yori. Great book, probably a three or four hour read. And it was a kind of a, a really groundbreaking at its time piece of work around a simple negotiation framework. So little tip, you know, as a foundation block, read Getting to Yes by William Yori. So let's assume that you've done some reading. The problem is, is that you go on these courses and you come away with a good theoretical knowledge, but how do you apply it? So I spent my kind of life really applying, putting into practice things that I've learned. I'm a great uh, lifelong learner. So I believe, you know, I'm 56 now. I love learning. I'm always doing something new, always learning something. My family's always seeing me kind of like, I'm not with a family. I'm reading a book of some kind. <laughs> and I love it. I really enjoy it. And I think that kind of, if you can educate your mind uh, and have an inquiring mind, then it'll take you a long way. So where I come at this from is this. Um, I've been an entrepreneur. I've raised uh, well over five million pound of debt funding from banks back in the day in nine, in 2000. But no, before that, I think 90, 2006 it was. Uh, so back in the kind of like the crash area uh, era uh, before that happened. So I've raised lots of money. I've built up my own company. Uh, I built a company up to over 20 million pound of revenue, um, negotiated lots and lots of deals as a provider into other governments and big companies. I've then been a buyer for big companies that were backed by big, uh, what they call private equity people. So uh, big funds, big VCs that back companies and, and make them grow. Um, and I've been buying for them. And so I've turned all that knowledge of, I've negotiated, I worked out well over now 400 million pounds of the deals across hundreds of deals in my time. And that's both on the buy side and the sell side as well. And so I've learned a thing or two practically about how you negotiate. So what I do now is I help smaller companies who are facing their growth challenge. So I know that a lot of your audience are you know, entrepreneurs building their business. You know, they've got past being a company of one. They might be five people. They might be 20. They might be 100 people. They're on that growth journey, somewhere on that journey. And what happens is when we all go on that journey, small companies to get bigger, sell to bigger companies 
because bigger companies have big budgets and you try and get into the bigger companies. So we all dream of selling into whoever, Apple or Samsung or whoever. When you meet those big companies, you meet these weird people called procurement people. (laughs) And they are the kind of the guardians of the corporate world. So their job is keep the organization safe when they're buying things so that they're buying things that are appropriate and also negotiate deals. And it's not just price, it's price and it's payment terms and it's intellectual property and it's all sorts of things. Uh, SLAs in your contracts, lots of things on the negotiating table. And the difference is these procurement people that you meet inside these big companies, they're really well trained. So they are what I would call ninja negotiators. They are really, really well trained. So imagine, Denise, if you came to me and you haven't done any negotiation skills training at all, and I'm working for Samsung as a procurement director, and you're really excited, there's a deal on the table, you've spoken to your marketing contact inside Samsung, you've agreed an outline of a deal, there's a problem that they need solving and you can solve it, it's a real pain point, and you think there's a deal done, and the marketing director says to you, Denise, you just need to go and see procurement, and it'll all be good, and you wander off and you meet me, and if you're ill-prepared, that's where the problems start. Mm. Because my job is to negotiate the best deal for my company on the best terms and um, in a way which doesn't kill the small company, but makes sure that you work hard for your money. So my mantra is the prepared mind wins the day. So if your listeners are out there and they're going, well, what am I going to take from this on this 20-minute drive into work or to drop the children off or whatever it is that I do as well is at the end of it, what have I learned? One, get some foundation skills, read some books, do my course. Two, think through the deal in advance. Prepare your negotiation before you get to the negotiating table. I mean, it's an interesting sort of stat. Well over half the value in any deal that you negotiate is derived way before you get to the negotiating table. So way before you walk in the room, well over half the value is created before you meet that person to negotiate with. Interesting. And therefore, you know, if you don't prepare, half that value is gone, disappeared, not available to you. So this leads me to another question, um, sort of slightly sidetracked, but I was discussing with someone the other day about government contracts and, you oh, know. Oh, my how, word. Well, <laughs> yes, exactly. So, and... At the time, we were saying, yeah, that's a lot of work, but you need to meet the procurement officers. And then that rolled into meeting the procurement officers of larger companies as well. And so, you know, being prepared is great, but people also need to meet these people somehow. They need to reach out to them, court them, let make sure they know who they are, because just a random proposal coming in by my company and they're not even aware of who I am or why I've submitted it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense so wouldn't that be part of that preparedness yeah so, uh, so that's a great point uh, about I mean government procurement's probably a whole podcast in itself uh, yes. I've sold a lot to governments and I've bought on behalf of governments so uh, what happens is in that how do you how do you build a relationship with a procurement person inside a big company well the first thing is you don't do it when you're trying to negotiate a deal Because once there's a deal on the table, 
I'm on the other side of the fence, literally, because I uh, there are governance rules. And by governance, I mean, how do you control something? How do you manage something? And there's things I've got to do to make sure that uh, what they call due process have taken place. We've gone through the right steps. So building a relationship with me during a deal is virtually impossible. So let's say, Denise, you've got five companies that you're targeting, bigger companies that you would love to get deals with. Yeah. So they're on your kind of they're pinned on your wall as your top five targets. A great strategy would be find out who the procurement person might be that you deal with and engage with them. Find them on LinkedIn, comment on their posts. So whatever they're posting, comment on those posts. Ah. Good tactic. Very simple. And, and comment on something meaningful. Yeah. If it's their birthday, don't just say happy birthday. <laughs> Creepy. Um, comment on something in their posts about what they've talked about. Give your view. What, what you're trying to do is position yourself in their eyes as an expert. Um, send them a white paper. So what we'd call a white paper, thought leadership paper, whatever the term is these days for what back in the day in the 90s we'd call thought leadership. Uh, it was called a white paper because it was printed on white full scale paper. And so uh, send some of the thought leadership paper. So you're thinking around a topic, your expertise area that demonstrates your knowledge and your expertise. Make sure it's kind of 10, 12 pages, something meaningful and, and uh, that you can get your teeth into and that gives some real insights and send that to them. Because what's happening is when they come to buy something like your service, you need to be on top of their mind. Well, the only way to do that is by positioning yourself as the expert in your field. And so 18 months in advance of a deal, keep chipping away at engaging with them. Get their email if you can, send them some emails, send them some content. Don't be salesy. You just want to raise awareness that you exist. Exactly, by point. Yes. <laughs> and that is the strategy. And it works. Yes. Yes, I like that. And and all great tips to engage on LinkedIn, you know, send them white paper and, and emails with content. So very, very, very good. Now, do you think anyone can learn to be a good um, commercial negotiator? And if so, you know, where do they start? <laughs> good question. Uh, yes, I do. So I've got my fundamental belief based on, you know, well over 25 years of doing this now is everyone can learn to be a good negotiator. Some people will be experts. They'll be unusual people that have a particular skill. They're normally very well trained as well, but they'll be outstanding negotiators. Everyone can learn to be a very good negotiator. And so it's, it's more of a science than an art. I kind of position negotiation as three things. It's an art it's a science and it's theater <laughs> because yeah, the fact that it's raised a kind of smile is exactly it. Denise is that there's some theater in it as well because there's some role playing that goes on and you're, tr it, it, I'm not a poker player, but anyone that plays uh, poker, you're trying to read the other person's game and you're trying to work out, well, which side goes first. It, it can be like playing chess as well. You're trying to work out three moves ahead what's going on and where they might play their cards. So number one, it's about art and science and theatre. And I'd put science as probably quite a big chunk of it because you can learn the science. 
It's quite hard to learn art intellectually, but you can become a better artist. Um, and you can also learn to role play in theater. So you can learn to be a great negotiator. And how you go about it is this. So read some books for sure. So the William Yorie Getting to Yes, very good book, certainly. But what you want to do is you want to define a very simple process about how you're going to negotiate. So what would a simple process look like? Well, it starts like this. So at the beginning of any negotiation, say you're about to negotiate with me, but you're you know, kind of three or four weeks away from the meeting, what would you do? Well, you should sit down. And the first part of the process is you go, what's my objective here? What am I trying to achieve? And then you'd also go, are there any constraints? Are there things that I can't do for whatever reason? And what are the deal breakers? So what am I going to look at and go, I can't accept that? So for example, if during the negotiation, 180-day payment terms come up and you're an SME, that's probably unacceptable. You'll die before you get paid. Yes. So those become your kind of red lines. You might accept 45 days, for example. So number one, what are your goals? What are the kind of constraints? And then you're going to work out, the next thing is, so what's my negotiation strategy? What's the deal structure? What am I going to do? So you start to work that through and go, okay, so what does that contain? Well, it'll contain pricing. So what are the pricing options I'm going to put on the table? And combined with pricing is scope. You know, so what's the scope of what I'm going to deliver? Each price, so you might have three options, and each price point has got deliverables in it. It's got a scope in it. Things that you'll do for the client, outcomes you'll deliver, or outputs you'll deliver, or activities that you'll perform. And the reason that's so important is when you're negotiating with someone like me, I think a lot of smaller companies, they get caught in the headlights of, I'm effectively the police because I'm procurement. You have to do what I say, and they get caught in price. And the negotiation becomes very singular, and they only think about price. And people get what I call wedded to an outcome. You're so desperate to work for Samsung, you're prepared to take any deal I give you. And normally that's on very unfavorable terms. So when you're preparing your deal negotiation strategy, very simply, three options. Option one, this scope, these outputs, this price. Option two, different scope, different outputs, this price. When you come to me and you're negotiating and I say, right, Denise, what I'd like is, I really like option three. Option three is brilliant. Um, but I want option three at the option one price. And your response would be, well, can't really do that, can I? Because you want all this value, but at the lowest price. So why don't we talk about instead the middle option, option two, where you get a lot of value, you get these deliverables, and it's probably yeah, more within your budget. And it forces me to rationally discuss with you scope and deliverables and SLAs and payment terms and anything else on the table, as well as price. And that one change will make your negotiation much richer and you're more likely to have a peer-to-peer -peer conversation as opposed to, I'm just going to beat you up on price. It sounds like this method can be used with, you know, small growing businesses that 
you know, even if you're not dealing with a procurement off, officer, a B2B Any company. Exactly. You know, unless Any it's, you know, regulated like insurance and things like yeah. that, of course. And that um, can be on the buy side or the sell side. If your company, if you need to buy, if you need to negotiate a new lease for your company, if you're going into buildings, or if you need, if you need to negotiate uh, new services from third parties or a marketing consultant you're going to use, same things apply. Just think through what your goals are, what are the constraints, your red lines, and then how you as a buyer would like to buy these packages of services. Yeah, the I moment did. you do that, it changes the game. Yes, I um, I recall once that I negotiated a lease just like that. Right. It was between around 2009 or 2010 where the economy was kind of slumping. Yes. Um, I believe they were are referring that to that now as the Great Recession. Yep. Um, <laughs> and they presented me with a three-year lease. And I told them like, hey, I don't want to move. I do want to stay here. But I would be much more comfortable with a one-year lease. Yeah. And they preferred having the income, so they accommodated that. Exactly. Correct. And your trading terms. Yeah, you know, I mean, there's lots of complexity behind this, but I'm a big believer in, yeah, I've, I've spent 25 years learning things. And my hope what I do is I can make it simpler for people because your audience are trying to grow their business. They're, you know, they're, they're probably wearing many hats at once and they just need something simple to go. If I do this, something will improve. So if I prepare more, it will improve. And if I have a little process, goals, negotiating strategy, and then engage, things will improve as well. And if you could give our listeners just one tip to help them immediately improve their negotiation, what would that be? So simple scenario, the price chipper. You ever met the price chipper? Oh, yes. (laughs) Hands up everyone that's met the price chipper. Absolutely. When the price chipper comes along and they say, okay, I I think we've got a deal, but you know what? I I just need 20% off. I can do a deal today, but it's 20% off. You can try two things. Firstly, you can go to them. I recognize you're trying to chip me on price at the last minute. So you name the game. And then you say, can we go back to the kind of the, the, the value that we, that we agreed we're going to create together and the return on investment that, that we can deliver for you? Something tangible that you both agreed to. So you, you kind of shame them by naming the game. <laughs> and then you draw it back to... We did agree this deal for a good reason because it creates value for you. Has anything changed with that deal? And of course they'll go on, no, nothing's changed. It's like, well, I'm not just going to drop the price. One last tip on that when you meet the chipper is adopt that language and that very simple kind of like retort and then say, what I can give you is something. Always hold something in your negotiation kit bag which costs you nothing, but is valuable to your counterparty. And so you can give them that for free for three or six months because everyone needs something in a deal. So the chipper needs to get something out of this discussion. And you've just basically said, I'm not yielding on price. But if you give them reporting is a good one, for example, you give them access to your reports for three months for free. But after that, they'll have to pay for them. So they get something. That would be my tip. I really like that strategy. Um, you, you're right. They they are looking for something. 
And I think holding your ground is the best course of action, but having this extra giveaway to give is also will satisfy them. I love that. Correct. You have, to, you have to satisfy the psychology of the negotiator. Absolutely. So Mike, after the podcast, if our listeners would like to reach out to you and learn more about how to negotiate like a ninja, how can they reach you? <laughs> Best way probably is to email me. Uh, so I'm a very kind of open guy. Um, just like email me at, uh, so Mike, M-I-K-E at Piscari, P-I-S-C-A-R-I.com. Perfect. So that's Mike at Piscari.com. Mike, you have been a wonderful guest and full of knowledge about negotiation. I thank you for being here today. Thank you, Denise. Thank you for joining us for today's Nurture Small Business, Creating a Thriving Space podcast. Learn more about your host at dcavirtual.com or by emailing her directly at denise at dcavirtual.com.